Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I mentioned that um, on Wednesday night I was in the green room talking to the girls and I turned over to Isaiah 65 and this verse stood out to me and it said this, new wine is in the cluster. And so I've, that's a funny look on your face. And um, so I began to spend some time this week um, just abiding in that statement. I think I've probably said it out loud to myself probably a thousand times in the last three days. New wine is in the cluster. I dreamed about it. I dreamed that I was saying it over and over and over. And, you know, one of the things that, let me just tell you my punchline, because I've got a lot of meandering to do today, so in case I forget to tell you what it means. Sometimes that happens to me. I get home, like, oh, man, I didn't even give them a punchline. But, you know, in John 15, Jesus talked about an abiding process and about an engrafting into the vine. And, you know, I, my family and I tried to grow grapes once and we didn't get any new wine, just saying, because the new wine is in the cluster. So the cluster effect comes from time spent abiding. And what you are engrafted into and what you are cultivating on the vine that you're engrafted into and the way that you know where you're engrafted into is by the production of the type of wine that your life presents, because, I mean, uh, produces. Because new wine is in the cluster. So the cluster is the amount of fruit, the amount of, of the grapes that are actually then taken and pressed into a liquid, right? And there's always way more excess than there is liquid. <laughs> and so... What I feel like my punchline ultimately is, is that, that there has to be a lot of clusters to produce enough for someone to enjoy. And, you know, part of what happens with us, I think, as we're growing into this amazing place in history where... God is producing major solutions to problems. You know, you're here as a problem solver. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know if you remember this, but you're here to solve a problem. Now see that what's happened with us being engrafted into the worldly culture is that it produced orphanism. 
The worldly culture always produces an orphan. And, and an orphan leader always creates a solution mixed with worldly leaven. Let me say it again. There's lots of leaders out there. And they're producing solutions that are mixed with the leaven of the world. And so it only can reproduce after like kind. Because see, the new wine is in the cluster. It's not in the leaven of the world. So there, there has to be a time spent of abiding. You know, when we tried to grow grapes, you know, we probably tried for, I mean, many years. And I mean, we literally got maybe 10 little grapes about this big. We were not grapists, clearly. But see, Jesus is the great vine dresser. He's the vine. And so his job is to prune. See, we never knew anything about pruning. So we had a really long vine with no fruit. And see, Jesus knows how to clip what needs to be clipped. And he's, and he's wanting us to structure a life that stays engrafted long enough to actually have time to have something to prune. It's actually a wonderful thing when you can demonstrate longevity enough Otherwise, you're going to have this really, really long vine. You know, we, I have these little hanging plants out in our backyard. And some of the plants up in it aren't doing good, of course, because it's, a, you know, I'm not really a gardener. But I have ivy in it. And the ivy is probably almost six feet long. But when the wind blows, those long strands of ivy reach and they grow. I have a little spearmint plant sitting probably three feet or four feet from it. As the wind blows, those long strands of ivy reach over and grab a hole with their little fingers, that spearmint plant, every day. I undo it every day, and every day, whether the wind has blown real hard or not, I wake up the next morning and that ivy has received. It's, it's, your life is longing to be engrafted. It's looking for something. Your little fingers of supernatural activity is looking for something to reach out and graft into so that it can actually feed you nourishment. When I was reading about the new wine is in the cluster, I, I just naturally, one of the ways that I study the Bible is I take that particular word and I use some piece of software. Right now I'm using um, Bible study tools, I think. And I go in and I look up what different words mean. Because, you know, part of what you have to learn is that every uh, translation of the Bible was done by a man. Not really even women that I know. I don't know any women. Have you, do y'all know of any? Do you know of any? So men, 
have taken the Bible and they have translated it into a language now that we understand. You know, I think that's why I love the Passion Translation so much is because I love, I've read all the other versions. I grew up on the real King James. And then we had the new King James that just took out the these and thous. And then we had the Amplified that made it really loud. And then we had the living, which clearly we were dead before. And then we had the message that was like, I don't know, made me laugh. Now, so, you know, you can see why I love the passion so much, because all the words of scriptures that I've memorized come back to me in King James form. So when I go to study the Bible, I always type in scripture that says... And I have to type it the way that I remember it because it's, that's, that's just how we learn. So see, those of you who are growing up on the Passion Translation should be really grateful because it actually speaks to... I had to say something because Bill had said something about this the other day, so I have to, I have to differ with him a little bit. Um, he talked about the New American Standard, and I don't read the New American Standard. That's just the Bible he grew up on. So, you know, he was saying something about the Passion. So I have to defend the Passion because... I know how life-changing it is to me, and I won't ever change. And so we've all grown up. You know, Bill's not my age. He's old. So, you know, we've all grown up with a certain one. So just think about it. In your lifetime, there's going to be other people that come up with other translations. And so the point of it is, is just read it. The point of it is, is try. I read it in at least four versions. Every verse, every verse that I preach on, excuse me, I read it in at least four versions. So it's not just a one trip pony. But anyway, it was just a commercial. But as I was looking at this, I, I discovered kind of an obscure scripture, I think. It's in Micah 7. And when I started reading this, this is what um, Micah 7 says. It says, I am filled with sadness like one who after the grapes have been gathered and after all the summer fruit has been picked can find nothing to eat, not even a cluster of grapes, not even one of the early figs I love. And so I was asking him why, how that went together. And, and this is what I feel like he, he has been showing me this week, that, that you are a product of your belief. You know, in Isaiah 65, it talks about different products of belief. I'm going to talk a little bit about it here in a minute. But you're a product. And so what Micah was saying was that, do you understand the world is looking for someone who has the new wine? They're looking, what does that mean? What does the new wine mean? It's a representation of being filled with the Spirit, of being overflowing with, with a, a substance not of your own that actually has the power to change the situation that they're in. That's really what the world's looking for, right? That's what you were looking for, right? And so it was interesting because I could just feel the ache in Micah's heart that he's looking for something to satisfy. Just a simple way to say it. Can you agree? And so 
One of the ways he's looking for it in this metaphor that I'm proposing to you is that he's looking for someone who has something of excess. You know, when we first come, we just get enough for us. We just go to work and we just work enough for our bills. Right? We just come to church and we hope we feel touched. You know, are you with me? We don't change the toilet paper roll because I had enough for me. Are you with me? See, it's in all kinds of areas, right? But as we begin to mature, then we begin to be raised up into other areas of awareness, if you will. I love, um, let's turn over real quick to a different scripture before we go there. Which one is it? That's the question. It's in 1 John 2. 1 John 2, can I just read it from the Passion quickly to you? You are my dear children, and I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer. Now, you know that I mentioned earlier, I think where some of us are stuck, we're stuck on wondering if we're crucified daily or not. We're wondering if that old sin life is over. Let me, let me just tell you, Romans 8 just sums it up for us. I have, sorry, I have to read that too, I guess. Um, so now the cl- case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation. Why would we be condemned? Because of sin. So the case is closed. See, you have to close the case on sin. So then we have to move from whether I'm sinning and I'm crucified and resurrected to I'm just maturing. There are two different roads. If you stay on this road of constantly wondering if you're sinning, constantly being condemned, you're not in the case closed. You keep, you keep going back to court with Jesus, and you keep presenting your case, and he keeps saying, well, didn't we cover that, though, in that last repentance? True or not? It just depends on where you want to live. I don't want to live over there anymore. Do I sin? Yes. Do I just ask for, it's not, remember I said the other week, sin's not a person. I sin before I know God. Let me give you a shocker. I sin while I'm maturing. The only difference is how I look at it personally. I really want y'all to get this because I know some of y'all don't have this. It just depends on how I want to look at that. Let's think about kids, friends. Let's use children. So, whenever they're growing up, whenever they're babies, let's just say under, for girls under two, for boys under four, because boys just potty train slower. But when you say to them, don't poop in your diaper, go into the bathroom, let's just act like pooping sin, just for this analogy, okay? Okay, don't get your panties in water. Look at that. I get to shoes that. Okay, are you with me? So, so, so they pooped in their diaper or they pooped in the toilet. There's just pooping just happens, right? So we're using that as an analogy of sin. It's the same way. You hope at 40. Well, probably earlier. But you hope. 
Oh, 40, we may be on the other side, so we better go back. 30, you hope at 30, we might be in depends then, but you hope at some point, sorry, it's just a good analogy for sin, it really is. So you hope that at 30, they don't poop on themselves or poop on other people, but they poop in the appropriate place, right? Think of that as sin. There comes a time where we probably aren't sinning so much on other people because we kind of mature. Then, then it's just, it's just us. We're just warring with our own, whether that's sin or whether God's okay with that or whether that's, you know, right? So we spend more. That tells me, if you say yes to that, I, I set you up. That tells me that you're focused on sin, not on his glory. And I become like what I behold. So see, if I'm focusing on his glory, then I'm looking for ways that his glory pours out. So then if it happens to be like, oh, that's an attitude his glory can't pour out on, then I'll change that. Not that I have to go through some big long condemnation, some court trial, right? And so it talks about this in John. So he says, but if we sin, we continually have a forgiving redeemer, right? Done. It's not, I don't think in this room, I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody's intentionally doing something on purpose saying, I hope I sin. Sometimes we do stuff that even is just trying to get our needs met that's sin. So, so that falls in the immature. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to get you over here in the lane of maturing and off of the lane of crucifying my flesh daily. You once you have been accepted him, you've been you're dead. That's dead. Let's don't keep working on that because I become what I behold. So if I keep looking at my old dead self, he can't even mature. Because I'm I will focus my time and attention on something that's already been done. That Romans 8 says has been satisfied. Remember, Romans 5, 6, and 7 has to do with your old man anyway. Okay, that's, I can't preach on that right now. Anyway, but if we do sin, we continually have a forgiving Redeemer who is face-to-face with God, the Father. And His name is Jesus. Yes. Face-to-face, right? He's the atoning sacrifices for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the entire whole world. Okay? Here's how we can be sure that we've truly come to know God. This is the way that you know if you're working on being crucified or not, or if you're working on maturing, that you keep his commands. Are you good at it? You know, I was reading yesterday, I read the entire story about God and Moses and all that. So... You realize that whenever God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, do you know why? Because they had, they knew very well a bunch of commandments of a different little G. You know, did you know that all the plagues were directly related to the gods that Egypt served? So you know the story. So God gave Abraham this promise, and then he had all those children, remember? And then he ended up having Joseph, and remember Joseph was thrown into the pit, and then Joseph went to Egypt, 
And he saved a whole generation of Israelites because they would have died because there was famine in the land. So God predetermined because of the famine in the land, he would establish Joseph in Egypt to be a structured leader so that when he, it came time to save his entire family, he just let them come and eat from Egypt, right? Yeah. But then Egypt said, dang, we can utilize these people, right? right. And so they enslaved them. And so then... Israel changed from a promised people to a slave mentality people. And they served the gods. They had big G occasionally, but they actually served the other gods in Egypt. Their children grew up there. It became part of their culture. You know, you know that thing about when you're walking around in a in a uh, swimming pool, and that's the way you change culture, right? Is you get a bunch of people moving together in the same direction. It's so hard to do, trust me, to get a bunch of people, like maybe 27 people, <laughs> like for a, maybe a whole six months. No, we can't. Just to move in the same direction. Because why? Because we have great ideas for us. So we're like, when we're in need, we're in. We're like, oh, yeah, man, look at all this momentum, man. People are moving. We're changing culture. I can see truth. My gosh, it's so great. I'm a giver. I'm doing all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, I think I'm done with that for a while. I'll go do my own thing. But, that, but it's still going. Yeah. And see, that's what happened in the world. Yeah. Is that everybody just started moving the same direction. Right. Christy's going to blow your mind in a moment with a word about how God sees about all that. But see, that's my will is involved in whether or not I'm going to walk in the same direction. So God does this cool thing. He sets us up in places that, would, that will guarantee I'll be pruned. Because the new wine is in the cluster. The goal of God is to establish a cluster out of your life. So you've got a cluster together. That's why they always engraft the vine to each other. So he, anyway. So, so when, when Joseph came and, and they, uh, then he died and then what happened? Moses came, right? And Moses was raised where? In Pharaoh's house, to be more specific. So do you think Pharaoh was worshiping other gods? Absolutely. So God had to remove Moses and take him out to the backside of the wilderness. So he could establish with Moses friendship. See, the three, the, that is the same example that what happened with Jesus, except for Jesus just did it in 40 days. Moses did it in 40 years. Which one do you all want to do? I, I don't know. No, I don't know. I think some of y'all are on the 40 years. See, because the three things that Jesus had to deal with in the wilderness are the three things that every human in life, let me tell you what they are. They are the lust of the eyes, materialism. They're the lust of the body, and they're the pride of life. They are, they, they are um, just... Lust of the body is just hunger and satisfaction. Yeah. Only pleasure is valuable and pain is not valuable. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's lust of the body. Yeah. That was one, wow. right? And, that, and, that, and see, who presented all these? That's what Lou is doing with everyone. Yeah. 
And so he just hooks different people in these three areas. And so that's why Jesus had to demonstrate the simple words that have to come out of your mouth on all three areas. I'm not even going to tell them to you. You have to go find them. Okay, I'll tell you where it's at. It's in, uh, it's th- it's three, there's three places, Luke 4, Matthew 16, Luke 22. I believe that's where they are. So, so those are the three things. And then he, the lust of the eyes is um, something that's spectacular or mighty, right? right. And then uh, 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 the kingdoms and wealth, I mean. And then the, the, that's the pride of life. And then the, the pride of life is the spectacular or might. So I'm really strong or I'm really showy. I'm, I, I, I want to be on stage. I'm, 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 I'm famous. So all of those, do you see, are just three little areas. It's the same thing that happened with Moses. He had to come and he had to experience a face-to-face friendship with God to what? To go and defeat all the gods that he had grown up with thinking were true. See, because what was the goal of defeating those gods? To free people that were already his. I propose to you that God never intended for the Israelites to become slaves to Egyptians, but it was easier. And we know that because when they came out of Egypt and God wanted to meet with them. See, when God gave the Ten Commandments, He also gave like three or four chapters, I don't know how many it was, in the Bible, of other rules. He covered everything. Just go read them for funsies sometime. He covered everything because what was he saying? I've got to restructure your minds because you're so used to being a slave and doing things that someone tells you to do. You never think for yourself. And see, the entire God's desire is for you to think with him. To not, that's why when you just want me to give you a list of stuff to do, it will never work for you. You know, I gave Charlie a, a Father's Day present, but he didn't know it until. But I asked him to meet with his sons. Now, see, the, the greatest thing about meeting with them is they gave him a Father's Day present back. But he, could, he didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. See, because he, he, wanted, he wanted to do it well as all men do, right? But see, it was, in, it was in the process of humility and submitting an idea and saying, does this sound well, that, be, that made it have something to come back to him. See, it's all, there's always a receptivity happening in our heart when we're willing to give. That's why he wants us to give our life. Because the thing I get back in return is so much greater than what I give. I give you this puny little life that is so powerless and I receive your entire power structure. The divine modeling of fatherhood. The divine modeling of a savior. The divine modeling of a power, of an authority. I get that. And so see, the thing of it is though that the divine power can't operate when I have other gods in place. So every single person in this room has to go through the wilderness to be, to, for you to meet face to face with God, for the enemy to see if you really know truth, because in that wilderness may last for 40 years for you. 
It wasn't his intention, though. Remember, Paul was three days. Look, it kept getting shorter. Moses, 40 years. Jesus, 40 days. Paul, three days. What day are you on? What year are you on? I mean, what is the point? The point is I've got to yield. What is it that I'm yielding? My will. Not my will, but your will. And so every place in your history that a God was established that you submitted your will to, then I can't produce a cluster of grapes in the kingdom. So there's going to be no, no new wine because i got to have a lot of grapes to make wine. Right? Where are we? Did I finish my story about me? Yes, I think I did. So I'm back at John, right? First John, that's where we are. I don't know why y'all keep making me get off on these wild tangents <laughs> to prove my point. So remember what I was saying. This is how we can know, we can be sure that we've truly come to know God is that we keep his commandments. And that's what, I, that's what got me off on is that the commandments are just two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, right? With all of me. I'm three parts. He's three parts. So all my three parts line up, right? And love people. How did he tell us to love people? As much as you love yourself. You know how much you love yourself. You know, the, the way you know how much you love yourself is what is inconvenient to you. What's inconvenient to you? Love people that way. That's the two things. So that's how we know. Are you with me? Okay. If someone claims, I've come to know God by experience. But he doesn't keep God's commands. He's a phony. So when I read that, I had another thought. And I thought of, since I had read that in Micah 7 about the figs that I love, I thought of Jesus. And there's a story in, let's turn, I think I got it. Oh, sorry. There's a story in Mark, in Mark. And I'm reading in the New International Version right now. This is what it says. Jesus was hungry. Here's the hangry Jesus. This is what the hangry Jesus does. Are you ready? Anybody ever been hangry? Anybody? Anybody ever been hangry? This is what the hangry Jesus did. It says, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Now, I read about fig trees all day yesterday, almost enough to just make me want to bang my head. But my conclusion was this. When the tree begins to leaf, it also bears fruit. And so, see, what it, what it says is he was hungry. So he was going with purpose to something that was displaying, I have what you want, what you love. 
from a distance he could see. See, there's two ways you can look at that. People are looking at you from a distance. If you got your leaves out, if you got your bumper sticker on your car, if you got in God you we trust on your car, if somebody says, do you believe in Jesus? You say, yes. They've come to eat of your fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Because it wasn't even the season for figs. Uh, I've heard lots of preaching on this, but this is what God told me. The leaves represented there should be figs. Even though it wasn't the season. The tree represented something to someone who looked from afar and who was hangry. And he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from your fruit again. I propose to you that just like Jesus was saying peace to the storm, he was showing us what to do with misrepresentations of him. He was telling us, listen, if someone is displaying something, that's of me. They got their Jesus bumper sticker on, but their lives are not representing First John, John. Then it's time for us to rise up and say, "Hey, you're working with them every day." See, we're chicken butts. We are. We are. Jesus said he just cursed it. Why? Because he was pr- the disciples were with him, and he was proven to them what. This represented something false. This is a false God. This is a false substance. This is a false supplier. And just like he has authority over the storm, he has authority over every little G. Foreign and domestic. Back to 1 John. He's a phony... And the truth finds no place in him. If someone claims, I have come to know God by experience, yet does not keep God's commands. I think this would clean up religion right here. If anybody was bold enough. We, we have created a culture that nobody can tell us anything we're doing wrong. Have you ever tried to tell anybody? We're so scared that we're going to offend them. That we're not going to be politically correct. It's just leaven, y'all. It's just leaven of a little G. And it's running rampant. And so we create programs. And we create institutions. We create t-shirts. We create movements. Think about all the movements just in your lifetime that have come on the scene to solve some big colossal problem. I was watching yesterday that it was the governor of Florida and he was showing a clip that in... This girls' track and field event, there were two guys, I think there were two African-American guys that were used to be guys, but were now claiming to be women, that were racing against all these women. And guess who won? They won every time. And so, of course, someone in the comments down below was like, I don't know what kind of man feels good about himself that he can run faster than a woman in a race. I mean, it's like, what is this proving? You see, that... The reason, this is what you have to remember. The enemy is showing his hand to show you where God is about to transform an entire generation. That's why you can laugh at it and say, that isn't going to solve a blooming thing. 
You're going to have a trophy in your house. Sorry. You're going to have a trophy in your house that says, I beat, beat a bunch of women. You're going to, no surgery or anything makes you know that you're not that. And so see, we, we can't be nervous at all the attempts that the orphan leaders are choosing to solve a problem with worldly leaven. What it, when your opportunity comes to say that's phony, will you? Now, don't go running out tomorrow and just barking at a bunch of people when you ain't got love. Because I started out, didn't I, with... I just got worried a minute. My cholerics were going to fix and to change the world. <laughs> we want to use... I don't need to say that, right? Maybe I did. Maybe I did. I just did. I just did. It says this. It says, but the love of God will be perfected within anyone who knows and obeys God's word. W is capitalized there. See, have you ever read the Bible and it made you feel bad? Like you thought, oh, man, I don't want to read that verse. Anybody? Anyone? Just two people? Okay. Well, what is happening right there, really? Okay. See, y'all all got different answers. See, the word is meant to be explored. It's not meant to make you afraid. And so you can't use you. Because clearly when you just read it, you already got afraid. Or you already got something so you can't use you right now. Now maybe something else you read, it was really empowering. Because see, it's a, it's a manual and a love letter. So it's meant to make you feel ooey gooey love like unbelievable. And it's meant to empower you to go out and change culture. And get as many people as you can to walk in the circle with you. To create some momentum. So if it's doing anything else, we need to say, I need to seek, it's a C word, counsel. I need to seek out help because here's a whole entire place that I'm meant to transform culture and I'm too afraid to look at it or too scared I don't know what it means or whatever. You know, it's just kind of like, well, let's keep reading. I haven't even got to my point yet. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying, hey, I'm intimate with God. But by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Do you know what what those are? Well, you have to read. It's in the first four chapters, books of the New Testament, what Jesus did. It's real clear. Watch the chosen. It's sort of close. That's a joke. It's not. It's not really. You know. You know. It's not biblical, right? Right. Uh, okay. Well, I was just checking because I mean, you know, it's the story. Okay. I had to throw that in too. Verse seven, beloved. I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one that you had from the beginning, and you've already heard it. Where did that come from, Moses? Right? Yet, in in a sense, it's a new commandment. Wait. He just said it wasn't. Then he said it was. Which is it? 
I love this. It says, this is in the commentary. This commandment to love one another is both old and new. It is found in the Old Testament in Leviticus, but it has been made radically new and fresh by the teaching of Jesus in its application through our lives. Do you understand the difference? When you just keep the law, it's a list of requirements. When Jesus enters my heart, the lawgiver, he's writing on my heart when I have an action. Yes, no. Good, bad. Let's change that. Let's refine that. Right? Do you see the difference? So, yes, it is an old commandment, but the old commandment was just on paper. The new commandment is relational. That's how you know if you're in some kind of spirit is because you're not relational. So when someone comes to you and says, hey, I need you to change that, then you get scared or you get mad because you didn't want them to point out anything to you. That's how you know that you're operating with leaven. And God wants the leaven extracted. The leaven of the world. You know what I'm talking about. It says, it's a new commandment and its truth is made manifest both in Christ and in you. What does manifest mean? Come alive! We got to make a song out. That was so good. Come alive! Come alive! Remember that on Wednesday? Sorry. I was trying that today, but we didn't get there. Because because the darkness, because the, it's just a different thing going on today. Because the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already blazing. I love this in the commentary. It says the true light is the revelation of God that shines through Jesus. It says it's translated the new commandment I write to you became realized in Jesus and is in you destroying the darkness and revealing the light of truth brand new. That's that's what all this is about. Okay, keep going. Anyone who says I am the light while holding hatred in his heart towards his fellow believer is still in the darkness. Again, over here on the maturing road. So I can't say I like Pam and then be like, man, I just am so mad at her. I just, my, my ability to see Pam has just been clouded by darkness. The darkness of my own feelings. Not even something Pammy did. My own feelings just clouded me. And so I look at her through darkness than I do with through the wonderful light that she is. That's how it happens. It's that simple. Yeah. Amy just throws a little pebble in there. It's an impediment. Yeah. It's a trigger. Yeah. I triggered lots of people this morning already. I didn't wake up today and say, man, I sure hope I get to trigger everybody. It's not in me. So if you get triggered by me, go find out what the other player in the room is because you like me. There's another player in the room not of God. Yes, yes or no? Yes. Same thing with your husbands and wives, especially with your friends, right? It says, but the one who truly loves a fellow believer lives in the light, and there is nothing in him that would cause someone else 
to stumble, to scandalone, to be skimpy, scampy, right? So in other words, they will know us by our love for each other. So if I love, I can't be offended that I didn't get invited. I can't be offended by what you don't do for me. I can't be offended because I already love you. So I'm for you. I like you. It says, but whoever hates a fellow believer lives in darkness, stumbling around in the dark with no clue where he's going, for he's blinded by the darkness. I love that because that just tells me that God always gives different instructions for people in the house, right? He's, this is what he's basically saying. You have no rights to be offended at each other. You have no rights to be offended at each other. And what's weird is it only makes you be in darkness. Yeah. Your offense to the other person. I have people offended me all the time. And I'm like, I feel sorry for you because I'm bright light. I don't even care. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's in you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And see, when we get to the point where we realize that's really what God's maturing. He's not maturing all the mature parts. They're, they're mature. If you get up and go to work every day faithfully, you don't even think about it, you don't have to set your alarm, he's not maturing that part in you. you. You matured it. Remember when you didn't even want to get out of bed? Remember when you just wanted to barely make enough money for yourself and you were charged up on your credit card, you ate? Remember those days? Does anybody remember those days? So then you can't remember how many Taco Buenos were on that credit card because you were laying in bed wanting Taco Bueno, right? Mm, that's true. Okay, so here's the part I'm getting to. Three stages of spiritual maturity. You ready? One is to children. Okay? So now, this isn't age. This, we're on the maturity road. This is all about spiritual age. Children, maybe you're still here. Here's the question. Do you know that your sins have been permanently removed? If you don't know that yet, you're still a child. Hello? You're still in the child category. This is a child's level education. Your sins have permanently been removed. Do you not know that 100 child? You're just child. That's just—it's just the reality. It's not about time. It's about belief. And so I would spend time saying, "Well, why in the world do I not believe that? If I don't believe that my sins are permanently removed because I ask Him into my heart, I am just on the maturing road. Are you still with me? Yes. On the maturing road, I am still a child." I think like a child, I act like a child, I do childish things. Because I have to have that truth established as preeminent before I can move on to the next level. So I'd be asking as fast as I could, why in the world do I still not know that? You understand that that's where a lot of churches are stuck. We're actually handing out responsibility to actually train other leaders to mature people who don't even believe their sins are forgiven. You might have been to that church. That's not me. 
I know sin is not the problem. It's not a person. The crux is, can you learn to live like you've never sinned? How good, of you, uh, how good are you at that? Everyone, that's why he said, everyone has sinned and fallen short. Kapoop. Everyone, 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 everyone. But are you now obeying? Are you now abiding? Everyone can say, somebody done me wrong song, right? The second one, it's the second part. I'm going to skip. It's, this is uh, 12 and 13. The second part of 13 says to young people. Here's the next stage. From children to young people. Right? And uh, this is what it says. You've defeated the evil one. That's how you know you graduated. Over, we're on the maturing road. Is everybody still on maturing? You graduate from being a child. So I don't even know. Maybe my sins are the problem. Maybe they're just, you know, they're just too much for God. I mean, maybe it's just the, it's just the game changer. Like, it's just a breaker. I just haven't done, you know, all that language that you have. Yeah. You know, you put language on other people. Well, I know you're probably not going to forgive me because, you know, I just, well, I know you don't probably like me. I mean, I know, you know, you know all that language. That's just immaturity. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. So the next one is young people know that the enemy's not even the problem. Like, he's already been defeated. Like, I'm saying, yeah, put an ant trap out with me. Yeah, let's put it. Come on. Come on. You remember the Matrix? Remember when that went? Are you there yet? Are you there yet? Are you there yet to the enemy yet? Are you? Are you still like, oh, I hope he didn't mess with me today? See, think about your spiritual gift needs some sort of... Taekwondo or something. It needs something to swing around my sword at. It needs something for me to hit that scaffold on. Come on. Maybe you're stuck there. You're just a young. You're just a youngin. Just a youngin. Just a youngin. Seventy years old. Just a youngin. Just still don't know that he's already been defeated. That this life is not about warring with the enemy. The victor has already won. He's already waved the banner over you. He's already got the spoils. He's already set the table in front of the enemy for you to sit down and enjoy. What else is he going to do? So here we are. Where are you on this, right? I love this in the commentary. It says, our enemy, Satan, is already defeated through our union with Jesus. Bam, done. And we share the triumph of the cross and resurrection. We share it. You didn't do anything for this, I just want you to remember. Just a simple fact today that you're excited means that you become aware that this is for you to have. And you didn't know that before. How many didn't know that before? All of you. You didn't know that before. You didn't. I know you didn't. You, your lives demonstrated to me that you didn't know this. Right? You're needing, I need God to do something else. Can he die again? Can he resurrect again? I don't know. What else can you do for me? Can you give me a pony? I don't know. I mean, what else? Right? He's like, it's finished. This is what's finished. Is the defeat of the foe is done. 
It says, it says, we share in the triumphs of his cross and resurrection, the word of our testimony. Did we not just sing about that? Yes. Tell somebody your story. Yes. Tell somebody the gross part of your story. Yes. I mean, I was on drugs. I was shooting up. I don't know. Is that how you do it? I don't know. I was drinking up. I was carousing. That's what we used to say. But let me tell you what Jesus did. I walked, I walked into a place and somebody told me my whole story and they spoke something to me that I know that they couldn't have known about me. And from then on, I thought, I want to know who this God is that they're talking about because this is not the one I know. That's your testimony. Also, the blood of the Lamb. And by not loving our own lives. I think, really, if we, would, if we want to mature... Does anybody want to mature? See, I love, I love maturing. I love when I do something that's not good and somebody says, that hurt my feelings. I'm like, oh, thank you for telling me because I thought that was good. Oh, that was darn good. And I realized that wasn't relational at all. Because that's what maturing is, is that I'm better in relationship with you. I know you thought it was about some promotion from God, but no, it's just that you're better relationally. People want to hang with you. The third one is to fathers and mothers. This is the next level. This is the final level. Isn't it cool there's only three levels? Do you know what level you are? Are you on that... Child level, I still don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if my sin is like really covered. Like I, I have guilt. Oh, well, that's of the devil. God didn't give you that. He gave you a spirit of timidity and fear and cowardice. And I don't know if he's big. I just cast that thing out. I just tell it to go. Do you? I mean, it's easy. Go. Go, fear go, stupidity go. I tell myself, yeah, the spirit is too all the time. Go, because I ain't stupid. You ain't either. You know, if there's anything you don't know how to do, it's just the spirit of stupids on you. It's not even from God, because you've been given all wisdom. The point that you don't know means it's an area that you need to ask. That's all it is. It's not an indicator of intelligence. It's an indicator of your will. Mothers and fathers, here we are. It's those who want to reproduce after like kind. I don't know if you've gotten there yet. If you're still just, if you're just a child, then this feels really daunting. Because you're like, man, I can't even believe I'm forgiven. I get it. It's just the maturing road. So if you were a good dad, a good father, if you were a God, if you were the God, then what would you do to help yourself, your children, get to these next levels? I love this. If you want to be a father and mother, you have to understand that the relationship with the one existed from the beginning. Do you get it? That the relationship with the one existed 
before you came to the planet. So that tells you you're here on purpose. See, once you know you're here on purpose, you want everyone else to know it. You can't live on easy street. You have to find somebody to father. You have to find somebody to mother. And so you have to learn to be a son. You have to learn to be a daughter because you've been awakened that you're going to be experiencing some people at different levels of maturity. These are all just people in the, in the body. You got all the pre. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call them the toddlers. They're out making messes. Have you, ever give, have you ever had a bright idea that you thought you'd give your kid who was too young something and then they made a big mess out of it? What you got on that, Lynn? Yeah. You know, I had the butter incident. Remember? Where my mom was on the phone on the party line and we had the shag green carpet and somehow I got loose when I was two and I got the butter. And we were a butter-loving family. So I was daughter of dairy man. We loved us butter. And we always had the butter out on the table. And it was soft. It felt like ooey-gooey in my little hands. So I just began to paint that green shag carpet. I was, had an art project going on. My mom, when she came back from the phone, she said, I had a circle this big. She said, my wingspan was really big. I just circled that butter around, right? Tell me why I was telling that story. Yeah, the pre-believers are just toddlers. They're out making messes. Something soft and ooey and gooey. They don't know they're running the carpet. They don't know they're running their lives. You know, I was counseling some people years ago, and somebody it was a, it was somebody who was wanting to change gender, and they were young. And I was like, "Hey, well, just let me give you a little bit of advice. You probably won't hear me right now, but don't do anything too drastic, because then you'll be thirty and you'll have a beard, and you'll want to be a woman, and you're not going to like that part." See. We have to be able to give counsel to someone who is a toddler with the better. See, I don't know if you know this, but all these people in here are pretty safe people. There's a few triggers going on, right? Did y'all have? Did anybody have any triggers this week? Anyone? No. Oh, checking, checking, checking the Rolodex. Yes, 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 yes. You see, it's still it's still good, right? Still good that the, the mechanism's still working. Right? You've not doled out. You've not overly matured. Right? Your will is still intact. It's still making choices, right? Now, see, remember the goal is remember when that trigger would last for a month? Years. How many ever have ever had the trigger last for years? Come on, be honest. I mean, that's just rough patch, isn't it? And then all of a sudden, you know, when you finally come to, you're like, what was the big deal? Anybody been there? Right? So see, that mechanism that God implanted in you, right, to want to mature. Right? 
is still working. So those are those three areas. Let me, let's bump on down. So we went, we went through the relationship. We did all that. Okay. I'm on 15. Don't set the affections of your heart on loving the things of the world. Now, see, when you get home today or this week, you can read Isaiah 65. But one of the things that it mentions down in verse 11 is it talks about there's two, these two gods. And see, this is, this is an example of what's going on in the world right now. The two gods were the god of fortune and the god of destiny. One of them is called Gad and one of them is called Mini. And they were gods that were worshipped by people who didn't know the real God. And so they would take on the culture of worshiping God. So one of the gods that um, they worshiped in Egypt was frogs. And so they took on attributes that rep what they decided. They just assigned a, th a value to it. Okay, they said frogs mean blank. And so then, because frogs mean blank, we'll do this with frogs. They did it with all kinds of stuff, right? And so that's what happened. That's what's going on in the world right now. So we've assigned value to things that are little G's that were actually just passed down from generation to generation and reworked. None of these things that are going on in our culture right now are new. They're just a different arm or a different leg or a different attribute of a little G. And you know, one of my, my favorite stories in the Bible is that one where, you know, the, the God just fell flat on its face. Remember when the ark came? That's what God's saying is, is about to happen. But see, the only reason why that, that God fell was because of the presence. And the only way the... Sorry. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Yes. The only way... Whew, that just, the only way the presence... Wow. Yes. The only way that the presence can happen is when we get all the attributes of the little G out of us. Yes. We can't mix. We can't allow the little G to abide within us in this maturing process without repentance. Yes. And so since he's so... Um, everything about him is wanting to make room for more of him because yeah. why he's wanting to pour out his glory. Yeah. You know, it said in, in when uh, I was reading about the story of Moses that, that when, when God, sorry, I'm just about to, when God came to Moses and he said, okay, these people are too bad and all that, remember? And he said, but I'll send a representative of mine with you. Yeah. And then that's when Moses said, but if your presence doesn't go with us, please, please, please don't send us from here. That's what I'm saying about this building. If we haven't got a group of people that love your presence, please don't send us out from here. Please don't make us public. Please don't make us bigger because we can't even manage the presence for ourselves. We can't even bring pure worship for ourselves. And what, what God said to him, and Moses said, please, he said, go with us. And he said, I will do as you ask because you've made me God and I know your name. He knew his name. God. Does God know your name? Do you know? See, the point was is that 
He knew God knew his name. So he knew he could ask that. Do you understand the confidence it takes to meet with God as a friend and say, this is what I need you to do for me. This is what I I am not going to go from here without your presence. And he said, I, and, and Moses said, please let your glory pass before me. And he said, he didn't say that God said, I will let my, let my goodness, I will let you see my goodness pass before you because his goodness is his glory. And until you can see it, until you can see your entire life and you can say that was his goodness, that was his goodness, that was his goodness, then there is not going to be any new wine in the cluster because the new wine in the cluster comes from as his goodness passes by your life and expands your life and engrafts you into something that you can't be on your own. Then you want to get rid of all the other gods and you want to say, not my will, but your will be done. Come on, Mendel. What's the word I always say here? Wow. Wow. Just thought I'd ask because we're all used to it. It's just, it's an unplanned response, but what else is there to say after all that, right? Wow. Wow. Well, uh, so the new wine is in the cluster. Such a good message and it's a very deep, deep word. There's so much richness in this message. So please go back and listen to it over and over again and make sure you get what all was shared today because a lot of ground was covered and there's some really, really, really good stuff in this. So um, I'm wanting to kind of sum it up a little bit and tie it into what the word that God gave me yesterday that I want to share with you. Um, So in Micah 7, as she said, there's the new wine is in the cluster, right? That was the, the verse that we started off with. So in Micah 7 that she read today, I read it in the voice, and it says, I'm filled with sadness like one who, after the grapes have been gathered, after all the summer fruit has been picked, can find nothing to eat, not a cluster of grapes, not even one of those early figs I love. So it stood out to me that you noticed that there there were grapes there because they were gathered, and the summer fruit had been picked, but there wasn't anything worthy of eating. There was nothing of new wine found. And so I can't remember, Tisa and I were discussing this a little bit yesterday, but you know, if you have uh, someone that has a mixture in their worship, then that means you take that analogy of us being grafted into the vine. If we're grafted purely in with Jesus, then the fruit that would be produced would be his fruit, right? It would, it would produce the new wine. But if you have a mixture in your worship, that means that you're tied, you're grafted in to him, but you're also grafted into some other ungodly little g-gods. So what kind of fruit would you produce? You would produce fruit that had poison in it. It wouldn't be, so there would be fruit and there would be leaves growing on the tree, but it's not going to be the new wine. It's going to be, it's going to include toxins. So this idea of um, mixture in our worship is a really, really big deal. And I think that we're really mistaken if we think that's not going on in the world today and not going on in us. Because remember, it's nations, they're the same as men. 
The nation reflects the culture of made up of each individual person. So I like when when um, it talks about you know God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. As we've said, they were used to a life of slavery, but they were also, as Tisa mentioned, used to worshiping different gods. They had been enmeshed in this culture. That's why God had to wait for a completely new generation, essentially, that was pure in their worship before they could successfully go into the promised land. And so if you look back at what, the, how those kinds of, what kind of worship that was, just to tie it into present day a little bit, there was a separate God for this and a separate God for that. So if you wanted to be fertile, there you worshiped the God of fertility. If you wanted your business to go well, you worshiped this God. If you, you wanted this, there was a different God for everything. And so the, um, that's where the mixture came in because the Israelites were then, you know, reintroduced and God said, I will be your God. I am your God. But what they didn't know in their immaturity was that God provided for all of those other things. So at some point in time, they said, okay, you will be our main God and we will say we're yours. We'll say we're Christians and we'll worship you and you'll be our main God. But then they turn around and they see their need. And so their default response is, well, let me go worship the God who I I know would meet that need or I've been told would meet that need. And that's what we do as immature believers. And that's what so many people in the body of Christ do and are doing in the world. Do you know, I've heard some teaching recently about what's behind all of these crazy things that are happening in the world that this this agenda is kind of being revealed you know in the world it's coming to the surface and if you really look deep into it um you behind it all is actually the worship of other gods and i I was telling tisa that i was really shocked when i first heard this because i thought that it was sort of just man doing life without god that led to all this craziness but it, it clicked that one night, like right before I went to sleep, I know the Holy Spirit said this to me, man who doesn't give God any credit, who just wants to do life, they don't value God, they don't think God maybe even exists. They, they don't think there's any credibility maybe in the spiritual realm. Well, they don't care if they partner with some religious practice because they don't think it's real anyways. But if it's a means to an end, then they'll do it. And so I couldn't figure out how there were people in the world present day who were actually doing things and partnering with things that are literally worshiping the same gods that were present back in this time. And, you know, like you talk, just just throw this out there, the worship of Baal worship and Moloch worship in the Old Testament always involved sacrificing children. So what is the worst atrocity going on in our world today that's legal? children are being sacrificed. So I'm like amazed when I'm, I'm putting some of these pieces together and I'm like, seriously, that's going on. Like people are tying this or present day worshiping a God like Baal. Like seriously, really that's going on. And I could not wrap my mind around how present modern day people could be doing this. And it finally clicked. The Holy Spirit told me one night, it was like, well, they don't have any value for the spiritual realm. They don't think they don't think it's credible. But if they see a means to an end, then they'll say they will say, okay, well, if we need this thing, I'll do this religious, this practice, this little ritual, 
if it helps me get what I want, but I don't really think it matters. Well, they're opening the door to something because we know the spiritual realm is real. And then they're, they're just caught up in it. And that's how, that's what the Holy Spirit told me. It's all about having a need or a desire or a want and thinking that thing that's been falsely advertised to me that says it's growing, it has leaves on it. That thing's going to get what I need, get me what I need. And so just saying, that's what we do on all sorts of levels. And we will partner with and worship something, a system that is ungodly because we've been trained and taught and it advertises itself to meet our needs. And that's how we get wrapped up in mixtures in our worship. So if you think about it, it really goes, and then we're not going to have a cluster of grapes, are we? We're going to have toxic fruit. And someone's, we're going we're gonna to advertise. We're going to be the tree with leaves on it. And we're going to say, here, have some of my fruit. And they're going to spit it out because it's, and they're going to give God a bad name. And they're going to give Christianity a gra- bad name. So if you think about it, it all goes back to the needs. We have a need that we don't know how to meet. We've not been taught how to meet our needs in healthy ways. And that's basically what the maturity process is. We have real needs. Needs aren't bad. We're just meeting them in ungodly ways, in unhealthy ways. So that's why this message was paired together with all of this about maturing today, because if you get, if you're matured, then you would know how to have your needs met from a healthy source, and you would know who God really is. You would know what he says he will do. You will believe it. You will trust in it. And so then you won't turn to these other things. And that's how then you have a pure worship. So along those lines, well, thank you. Thank you. You had a great message. It was really good. So the thing that we often don't realize, as I said, is that our needs are actually healthy. Our emotions are actually healthy, but we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to respond to them. We don't know what we don't know why we're feeling the way we do. And so a lot of times us um, as Christians, we get into this wrestling match with our will, right? Because we've learned that our will is supposed to be submitted to God, but our will is really strong and wanting to accomplish what meet our needs. It's really strong. We want to meet our needs and our will is used to doing what it needs, partnering with what it needs, what it needs to get the need met, right? So yesterday I was experiencing this feeling and, and, you know, God wants us to realize that the answer of course is not to shut down your emotions. The answer isn't to let your emotions rule you. Those are two opposite extremes. He has a healthy response for us to have to our own emotions and there will come a time where he will start rising up in you and actually triggering your emotions for an intended purpose and so yesterday I was just feeling really really frustrated really angry because for several days in a row I'd felt like there were all these obstacles you know just things knocking me out of my sweet spot left and right obstacles to connection obstacles in communication and I was just so frustrated because I I, I want to be in the zone, you know? And so after a few days of this, I was really angry. I was really angry about it. But I sat there and I kept trying to 
lay the anger down so I could have my quiet time with him and, and say, you know, like, just put it, just get rid of it, get rid of it. And I could not get rid of it. So finally I started writing and I realized that he wanted to show me something through that feeling of anger. And he wanted to reveal something about the power that he's put in each one of us. So just being completely transparent, I'm going to read you my processing. Okay. This is how it happened. And in, in the process of my processing, he started telling me something and I, I'm, I'm still speaking in first person at, at this point in the, in my writing before he started speaking, but I, it's still his revelation. Okay. But I'm starting off. I'm just, I just said, I'm angry. I'm angry at the injustices of this world, at the things that dare to raise their voice against the things of God at the things that dare to oppose his flow, what he wants to say. I'm angry at the obstacles to connection and communication. I'm angry at what dares to rise up in opposition to his will, his plan, his connections. I have chosen, I have made a choice of who I serve and whose temple I will be. There is no other, none other than the God most high. I serve him and him alone. I am a temple for him and him alone. No other order of business is allowed to be conducted in my body, in my mind, in my emotions. And so I'm just saying there's lots of declarations in here, and this can be a model for you for how to even do this kind of battling or war and, and telling yourself, reminding yourself what you believe and what your stance is. No other business, order of business, business is allowed to be conducted in my body, in my mind, in my emotion. I have chosen with my will, and all authority has been given to the power of my choice. God himself saw fit to do so, and Jesus reinforced that truth when he reclaimed the keys and gave them back to me. I will not bow to the will of some lesser thing. I will not bow to the system or power or government that operates outside of the leadership and holy authority of God Almighty. I have chosen with my will, my will. Now the Holy Spirit really started highlighting my will here. I said the enemy showed his hand when I was labeled as a young child as being strong-willed as if it was some sort of negative. But I just say that you better believe I am a strong-willed child. I am a strong-willed child of God. And that makes me the most powerful force on this earth under him. So the rulers and principalities of darkness, they flee from my choices. They shudder in fear at what follows the power of my choice with my will. They attempted to silence this powerful force, but failed. They attempted to crush and disempower its operation. They attempted to poison it with fear. But my will is stronger because my will came from God himself. The enemy's fear toxin is no match for the created being made by my father, God, no match. The enemy fear, all of those things are no match for our will. Is that just a truth we can, we can lock onto? 
I would venture to say that most of us kind of give our will a bad name because we wrestle with it and it creates tension in us because we know one thing we're supposed to do, but we're pulled in another direction. And some of us just wish we could have it extracted. Just take this will away from me because it's it's the thorn in my side. But there's a he's telling us something here about a change in perspective that we need to see about the power of our will. So I said, fear, bow in the presence of this powerful force I wield. Distraction, bow in the presence of this powerful force. Disruptors, bow in the presence of this powerful force of my will. You will fail in your attempts to overpower my will. You have awakened a giant with your feeble, pesky attempts. You will wish you'd never messed with me or mine now. My will has awakened. It's standing up strong. It's breathing in the very breath of God as it focuses in on the enemy at hand. You will regret the moment you thought your strategy would work on me. You will run and hide and quiver in the fear of your own kind when you see the power of my will arise. You see, I've been set apart. I've taken my will and submitted it to the king, the grandest of all masters, for intensive training. Now, the picture here was, you know, those kung fu movies where the guy goes off into the wilderness somewhere and some guy who's like the secret grandmaster of whatever martial arts it is. That's what I'm seeing. I've submitted my will to the king, and he's the grandest of all masters for intensive training. I'm talking to the enemy here still, and I said, you have mingled with a master when you mess with me. My will has the power to make you shatter. My will has the power to make you weep, enemy. My will has the power to crush you under my feet. So make no mistake, your destruction will go on display. Your crushing will be a warning for all others who dare look my way. You've messed with the wrong person. You've taken on the wrong fight. My will has the power and connection you fear every single night. You will warn others to stay away. You will become a billboard that testifies of the power of my, my power and strength. And I want to say here that, you know, I have heard from Kat Kerr that says the enemy, when you start defeating the enemy over and over and over again, it won't bother to try these tactics with you because they're so afraid of failing. So the enemy and all of his little demons are so afraid of failing that if you up the odds of it failing, then they just won't even bother with you on some of these tactics that we get pelted with over and over. You will warn others to stay away from me. Just think about that. When fear comes in, just say, you, know, you are going to go warn all those others, like anxiety and all those other, all of your friends, that not to mess with her because she's too powerful. So some insight in the power of our will. This was him speaking through me, right? How powerful our will really is. So I said, speak, Lord, speak. Have your way in me. Speak, Lord, speak. Have your way in me. And Papa said, 
My roar has been released and travels the earth. It seeks and searches for those who can hear, for those who respond and cry out in like kind. It roars past the deaf and blind, scorching their landscape, burning their chaff, and whittling their brine. I'm going to pause right there and explain what that means, because it took me about, I don't know, six hours to figure it out. (laughs) Burning their chaff and whittling their brine. Now, we're talking about the deaf and the blind here. It says that his scorching roar will go across their landscape and burn their chaff. Chaff, if you don't know, is what was what that that outer husk is on the wheat. And so the wheat had to be threshed so that this the valuable part of the wheat had to be separated from this outer thing. And so the chaff, when that when they would thresh the wheat, it would separate the two so that you could keep the part that's valuable and get rid of the other stuff. So chaff is the wasteful stuff, like the stuff that's of no value. It's not going to bring us anything good. We don't need it. We don't we don't, it's just taking up space. So he's saying he's going to go through and burn the chaff, okay? Whittling their brine. Now, brine is salt water or seawater, okay? Whittling is, um, it, it's another way of saying um, reshaping or molding, tweaking, okay? So we could say whittling is tweaking and reshaping and molding. Brine is salt water. Now, we know that we're meant to be the salt of the earth. We had a great message here a few weeks or months ago about how salty is your wick, remember? We're supposed to be a seasoning on life for other people with our salt. So what happens if your salt is watered down? If your brine, your salt water, is watered down with a bunch of extra stuff, then that would need some tweaking. Or if you don't have any water in your, in your brine and it's just becoming crystallized, then it would need some whittling. It would need some correction, some tweaking. So whittling their brine means tweaking our saltiness, tweaking the places that we need to, to our, our saltiness for the world. So it roars past the deaf and blind, scorching their landscape, burning their chaff, and whittling their brine. We all need this in some area. Okay. He said, I am the great I am. There is no other, none of greater measure. I speak and mountains bow. I sing and oceans roar. I breathe and the wind speaks. Who can see? Who can believe? Who feels my power rumbling within them? Who recognizes the sound of my triumph? Who can feel the beat of my drum? Will they open their windows and let me in? Will they open their windows and feel my wind? Will they open themselves like never before and allow their homes to echo with my roar? He said, I have released a scorching roar, a sound that fills the hollow places, a sound that causes the false walls and borders to fall. All that is unholy has its own sound. You remember that when a sound goes out, it creates vibrations in all materials, everything. And there's a vibration that's created. So a sound, his screeching roar is come, going out and everything it, it 
it goes near is going to echo, is going to vibrate with its own sound. All that is unholy has its own sound and it will be recognized by my people. It will be screeching, a screeching in their ears. It will testify of its own nature and will reveal itself. So in response to his scorching roar, the things that are unholy are going to sound different. We're going to be able to tell the difference. They're going to have a sound that was going to reveal where it's its own nature. All other gods exalted by men will tremble at the sound of my scorching roar. Their vibrations will be felt and their tinny structures revealed. They will resound with their hollow, empty, man-made promises. False advertising. They will crumble, but what doesn't fall will be torn down by those awakened with fire. He says, a fierceness arises in the hearts of my people. A boldness infills their souls as they stand. What they've cried out to be free of will be burned in a flash. And in a moment, they will find their true strength within. They will find the power in the very thing with which they've wrestled. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause here and, and explain a little bit about what he's talking about, just so we're all clear. What they've cried out to be free of will be burned in a flash. So first of all, that's all those things that we struggle, struggle with, with our own soul, the Adam life, the flesh, all those things. He's saying that with this scorching roar that he's releasing right now, that it will be burned up in a flash. There's going to be a time, a moment where all of that is just going to go poof, just like that in a flash. The things that you thought would take years and years. Okay. It's going to be burned in a flash. In that moment, they will find their true strength within. So if you picture that those things that we're weighed down with, we're heavy, we're heavy with, and we, that's what we see in the mirror when we look at ourselves, that's what other people interact with, and we want those things to just be gone. We've cried out to be free of them. He's saying that's going to be burned up in a flash. So if you imagine all that's just suddenly gone from you, you'd be able to see what's really in you, right? He's talking about an incredible, supernatural, divine moment of clarity where you will be able to actually see what's in you with that, because that's going to be bur- everything that's in the way, all those obstacles are going to be burned up in a flash. And so they will find their power in the very thing with which they've wrestled. He's talking about our will. As I said, our will, and I think we everybody should just take a moment to think about this at some point, how you really see your will. Is it a friend or a foe? Do you wish you could just kill it and be, you know, be done with it? You wish God would just take it from you? Do you hate on it? Do you curse it? How do you look at your will? Because he's saying this is, he's revealing that we have got to have a switch in this and recognize the true power, the true weapon of our will. It's not our enemy and it's not our downfall. It's meant to be a great source of strength in us. It's what we're meant to rule and reign with. So they will find their power in the very thing with which they've wrestled. 
What has been a question, an overarching question each and every day will finally be settled as they recognize the power in it. Generation after generation have struggled with this one thing. Who will their will serve today? Generation after generation, just mulling over that same question, making a different decision every day. Who will their will serve? It's become an optional, elitist type of thing where only the few, only the chosen will choose to serve, tell their will to serve him. And for the rest, it's just optional. It's just an option. It's that an option to go above and beyond rather than just the status quo because not, it's not really expected for anyone to submit their will and make it powerful for him. After all, this shallow existence of wrestling with our will is all that could really be hoped for. That's the narrative of the world today. So he's talking about that it's the Navy SEALs. It's the people in the Kung Fu movies that go off. You know, it's just that one guy that goes off and gets secretly one-on-one training. That it's, it's an elitist type thing where it's just only the few people are really expected to submit their will to him and have, be trained in that way. And that's the perspective of the world he's saying. He's saying with this scorching roar, that is about to change because people are going to see their will for what it really is. So the question, will I or will I not pick up this sword of great power? The power in this weapon depends on who it will serve. The weapon is our will, just to be clear. A will serving itself will be like a sickle swinging back on itself. Unable to reach out to destroy an opposing force, it can only be swung back to itself. But a will that serves the Almighty is a sword of such power there is no earthly comparison. Its strength is only known to those who have traveled the road. A yes is required to lay eyes on this prize, to lay eyes on this sword of great power. But a time is coming where they will get a glimpse. After the roaring fire consumes all at once, they will feel this power within. They will know its steely strength and never again question the power in what I made. Now, I had this, I had this um, experience recently that mirrors this a little bit. I, I stepped into this um, level of peace and freedom from torment unlike anything I had ever felt before. And I, I didn't really time it, but I, it was several weeks in a row when I was just sort of like, wow, this is incredible. And so then some things started to come in and I was like, wait, 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 you know, I don't want, I want to stay there. But the difference, and so now I'm, I'm processing with him how to, how to process, you know, what to do with that. But the difference is now I know that that level of freedom and peace is available. No one can tell me any different. And, and doubt can't tell me any different because I experienced it. I saw it for myself. And so that changes everything for me because now I know it's possible. I know he said he promised it. I know all of his words and his promises point towards that. So you better believe my, my um, passion and ambition to go after that is a lot stronger than it was before. And so that's what he's saying here. 
that after the roaring fire consumes all at once, they will feel this power within because in a flash, it'll all be burned up. So believers, non-believers at any stage are going to be able to see in a moment, feel and experience that the real power that's in their will. And they will never again question what he really made that to be. Choices, he said, choices will still be required, but they will never call it an option again. It will be their holy grail. The one thing they seek. They will have tasted and seen this power and strength and never again doubt the value of what I made. And so just saying this word means that there are going to be people coming for training, and which is this house is so good at. And it's what we've all been preparing for because they're going to realize that this isn't just some, you know, weird elitist kind of just the special people go and get their will trained in this way. They're going to be hungry for it because they will have tasted and seen it. And so they're going to be looking for places to train it in them. So again, he has a a proper response for us. Everything that we feel, every emotion, every need, every struggle, he has something he wants to say in it, and he has something he wants to refine in you, through it, about it, change your perspective, and possibly be even new revelation. We have got to change our perspective about the value of this maturing process and this training process. It's not just for us to feel better and for us to finally have just a moment of peace. That's great, and it's the beginning. It's the tasting and seeing, but we're really meant. This is when Jesus handed back the keys. He handed us the keys because we have the power and ability to choose with our will to say yes to something, to say no to something, to say I will tolerate that or I'm intolerant of that. And when we choose to say I am intolerant of that, all the power of the kingdom of God floods in and backs us up. But if we don't make that choice, nothing, none of that's happening. God has said for, for, for since the beginning of time, what you tolerate, I will tolerate. What you're intolerant of, I will be intolerant of. It's really, really simple. But if we have such weak wills that are still tossed to and fro and we're wrestling with them, we'll never make the decision. And no decision is a decision. It's, it's saying, I will tolerate it. And so when, when somebody, somebody calls up, like Tisa shared about, and says, hey, I'm wanting prayer, and we know that they're really prophesying something negative over someone, we will say in that moment, I'm intolerant of you speaking that over someone, and so I'm going to choose with my will to do something about it. So, Papa, we just thank you for this incredibly rich word today and all that you're revealing to us, all that you're entrusting us with. I thank you that you are saying today that not only do you entrust us with everything that we have done so far in this house and all of the roads that we've each individually traveled, you're entrusting us with greater and greater revelation. You you told us in that dream that you gave me recently that you were pulling us ahead into time. And I I know today that you're saying I'm pulling you ahead because I want you to see like me. 
because the God of the universe stands in our future and calls us into it. The enemy stands in our past and tries to get us to look backwards. God stands in our future and calls us into it. So you told us, Father God, that you were pulling us ahead in time so that we could see what you see, that we could see what you see and we could partner with you in it and we could say, nope, I'm intolerant of that. I will tolerate that. And we will partner with the power of our will, this incredible force you've given us. What an incredible force. Just the will, humans, in a human, the will. Our will. Thank you for opening our eyes to see what a powerful, powerful tool it is. A powerful weapon. Thank you for this next level understanding. Teach us to wield our will in this sword of the spirit, the sword that is so in sync with you. Teach us to wield it the way you want us to. So I just speak a blessing over everyone hearing this word. I just speak a a covering and a Holy Spirit protection over this word and over where all of these seeds have been planted. We just speak to those seeds and we say, go deep, be strong, be fruitful. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will back that up and you will cause it to, to flourish within us. So we thank you, we praise you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.